No, I I thought it was very cool. Um, and I actually was going to ask you if this was for like a master's thesis yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I can totally talk to speak to that later or whenever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I don't see too many, uh, just in my experience, like local authors with like like a paper. This is yeah. it, it's you know like graduate, like you were saying, uh, graduate research mm-hmm. into. Um, a time period that I'm, I'm trying to get myself more familiar with this time period. Yeah, it is a fascinating time period. Um, I, it's almost kind of like I don't even know where to start sometimes mm-hmm. because there's so much information uh, on it. That, there is that I feel like I'm missing out. Like if I focus on one area. I feel like I'm missing out from like all these others and I just want it all just to coalesce like yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, I can say that there is an excellent resource that I use as a teacher and I've actually been to a few teacher trainings. They're very much into the education. It's mm-hmm. the American Battlefield Trust. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. Online. There are, there's a lot of articles about it. There are these videos on it. There's, they call them, some of them are like in four videos and they have animated maps and overviews of, like, it's a great, great resource. Um, they Very also cool. have, like, curriculum. They also have stuff on the Revolution and on the War of 1812, too. Oh, okay. So. That's where, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, because that's actually where my focus has been, um, as far as, like, reading history books, okay. has been on the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished a book by Rick Atkinson, uh, it was called The British Are Coming, uh, relatively newer. I think it was published in 2020, um, specifically on the time period uh, 1775 to uh, 1777. Okay. Uh, so just like that beginning part of the Revolutionary War. And then I believe he's going to make a trilogy out of it. Oh, cool. So he's going to just continue on yeah. uh, down the timeline. Um, I'm sorry, really quick before before we keep going yeah. i just wanted to give a quick intro um hi everybody my name is chris uh this is Cheetash, and i'm here with a very special guest um erica and i hope i pronounce your last name right is it emma lander yes that was actually it is it yeah. <laughs> okay um what origin is that so that is actually it's a, it's a funny story we're not 100 percent sure exactly how it came about but we believe that it is dutch Mm-hmm. Well, we know it's Dutch, but mm-hmm. there is a island in the Netherlands called the Ameland, mm. and so we're not sure if they actually call themselves Ameland, Ameland or Amelanders over there. But when they came over from the Netherlands, when they asked at Alice Island for the name, they said, "You know, we're the Amelanders," and that's you know how that kind of came about. So wow. wrote down as Amelanders, and here we are. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what um like where did that start like? Grandparents, great-grandparents? So my grandfather's dad and brother came over. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. So. That's a a similar story to my family. Um, Well, my parents came over. Oh, cool. From Yugoslavia. Um, Yeah. I was just talking about this with the previous guest I Mm -hmm. had on, um, Ariana Kabodian. She wrote a book on the Armenian genocide and you know, she's all her family's Armenian, and I we were talking about how I don't know how my parents did it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they probably have some stories for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I mean, they came over relatively um, 
you know, there was still technology mm-hmm. and like planes and stuff, but even like going back to what you're saying, Ellis Island coming over on a boat, oof, yeah. that must have been tough. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's really fun to look back through family history. I actually have been able to do that. And um, mm-hmm. on one side of the family, we can trace our family history all the way back to one of my ancestors coming over um, in the 1600s. Can actually like wow. look up the ship's log and see his name on there. Wow. So, and then I've okay. got another ancestor. She came over from France um, up into the French Canada uh, in that time period. And she came over with a group of women called the Queen's Daughters who were basically sent over here to marry the fur traders so that they could actually get the colony going and not just have fur trading posts, but actually have a community. Wow. So, yeah. Very cool. In to go along with this and, you know, your your work as an author and the, the books that you've written, and I have one of them here or two of them here, actually. Uh, one, of, uh, one of them, though, titled The War Shall Rise Against Me. And from me uh, starting to read the book, heavily centered on the Civil War time period of the United States, um, would you say your interest in history, where does that stem from? Does it stem from looking up stuff on, like, your own family? It stems from a lot of things. My grandpa gave my mom a love of history, and then my mom gave me a love of history. As kids, like, as a family, um, I'm, you know, I've got two sisters and a brother, and so we would take family vacations up to Mackinac very, very often. So I've got the Mackinac series as well. That's where a lot of that came from. And then I was also able to work for the Mackinac State Historic Parks for a couple of seasons. So that's where a lot of that comes from. So just from a very young age, always just being really interested in history. Wow. Um, kind of, like I said, from my mom and like mm-hmm. a family standpoint. And have you always lived in Michigan? Yes. Okay. And Grand Rapids area? Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So a little town just south of Grand Rapids, Byron Center is where I grew up. Okay. I've heard of that. Um, is that small town? Not it was. Big... It's getting a lot bigger now. Oh, really? Um, it's not far yeah. from where the um, Metro Hospital is um, in that Grand Rapids area. So the area is really getting a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Like lots of people just moving in. Yeah. Yeah. People, businesses. So. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. And your your um, profession, you're a teacher? Correct. Is I that? teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade theology and social studies. Okay. So it's nice. a fairly small school in Grand Rapids, but um, great community and have a lot of fun teaching the kids. Um, really good kids overall. Uh, how, how big is the school? Uh, we have one grade per cl- or one class per grade with the exception of kindergarten. Uh-huh. We go all the way down to one-year-olds, all the way up to eighth grade, and there's probably an average of 25, 26 kids per grade. Okay. So, on average. Yeah. So. And, like, as far as, like, your class sizes, what are we talking? I've got a class of 19, a class of 23, and a class of 30. Okay. So. Okay. Is Do you find, is the class of 30 like more challenging because there's more of them compared to like the 19? It gets its own challenges, but also because it's the sixth grade class. So they're still trying to figure out middle school. (laughs) And so that kind of presents its own challenges. But, um, you know, overall, and also the class of 19 is my eighth graders. So I've had them for three years. So they know me, I know them, and we kind of understand each other a lot better. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. And I, I really enjoy being able to have kids three years also. Um, you really get a chance to build some really good relationships with them. That That is a great point. I, I'm just thinking back to my middle school years, and I yeah, I didn't have that. I had different teachers each 6th, 7th, 8th grade. Yeah. Um, now, high school was where I would have the same teachers, like sophomore, junior, senior year. So I did kind of develop a relationship with some of my high school teachers. Um, and I guess with sports, too. Like, you, oh, you yeah. play a sport, and you have, like, your same coaches all throughout high school. And that definitely helps once you get to be, like, a senior and you're familiar with the whole system, mm-hmm. and now you can help the incoming freshmen go along with things. Because mm-hmm. um, you also you coach as well, right? I do, yeah. I actually just got done coaching fifth grade volleyball. Um, <laughs> I've coached basketball in the past, and then I also coach at the – the local Catholic high school that my kids feed into, I coach softball there. So wow. Grandpa's Catholic Central. So that's yeah. a busy, very busy. Wow. <laughs> so with with everything going on, teaching, coaching, um, even the the ministry. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. That you're involved with. Yep. Um, how does this book series come about? On like starting with the war shall rise against mm-hmm. me and your Mackinac series. Yeah. It so writing is something that I love doing. So I'll, I carve out time to be able to do it. The first book, the Gettysburg book, came about from a family vacation. Uh, we took a family vacation out to Gettysburg and okay. learned the stories of some of the individual civilians, specifically one of the main characters in the book, Jenny Wade. So she is an actual historic figure, mm-hmm. and I heard her story. And I wanted to learn more about her story. And I learned best personally by reading historic fiction. And so I was just looking at other books and there just was nothing with her featured very heavily. There's a couple of them that mentioned her. But then I was in the middle of college and I'm like, you know what? I'll just do it myself. And then it, it, it took some time. It took probably seven, ten years for it to be done. But um, I was also finishing college, getting my, you know, student teaching first couple years of teaching, so um, was, was able to pull that together. Wow. And the trip to Gettysburg, um, or let me ask you this, uh, have you taken any other trips to any other historical, Civil War historical Oh, yeah, sites? actually, by now, I've probably been to about every Civil War site, major Civil War battlefield, east of the Mississippi. Um, one place that I have not gone yet to is um, Andersonville prison in Georgia have not made it that far down yet so mm-hmm. I've made it down to New Orleans but um most of them well I've been there I like to visit the places that I write about mm-hmm. just kind of get that visual I'm a very visual person mm-hmm. so it really helps to be able to go there see how it is and really be able to talk to a lot of the people because especially talking to the historians they're all National Historic Park so going to the National Historic Park um, headquarters saying, hey, I'm writing a book. I want to make sure it's as historically accurate as possible. Is there anything that you can tell me or give me? And I usually get a lot of really good feedback and a good material and good information. So. Very cool. Yeah. Are these mostly, so the areas that you're talking about, is this mostly like Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky? So right now, the, the four main books that are out right now, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Fredericksburg, Virginia, Vicksburg, Mississippi, which you don't hear much about that area, that Western theater, 
and then Petersburg, Virginia. One of the books that I'm working on right now takes place primarily in Winchester, Virginia, but also covers a lot of the other war area as well. Okay. Uh, just a, a quick, you had mentioned Vicksburg, and I've heard other historians uh, talk about the Western theater. How come that doesn't get as nearly as much attention as some of the other like famous like battles, would you say? I've heard a couple of different reasons, and I think it's just because even in, I don't even know how I would say this, but just, hmm. there's just a lot more information, I think, and a lot mm -hmm. of the major battles, a lot of the things that we would hear about, um, even in the newspapers there, it was probably very Eastern focused on what was going there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, Like I said, there's a couple of different theories, but um, yeah, I think it's just because that's what was most talked about. And a lot of it was very important mm -hmm. um, as well. You know, you had your biggest players there, Lee, and then Lincoln was in the East and trying to figure out who his main generals were going to be. Mm -hmm. so. so stuff like, like Getty, is Gettysburg considered like an Eastern? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gettysburg, um, uh, Antietam. Yeah, Eastern. more Eastern. Um, I'm trying to think of other famous battles. Shenandoah. So yeah, Shenandoah is uh, Eastern. Eastern. Yep, all okay. those battles wow. in that area. So yeah, all the all the ones that just come to mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah, yeah. all Eastern. Yeah. Wow. I mean, some of the bigger Western ones was Vicksburg, Nashville, um, Corinth, Mississippi. There were some big ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What and just curious, did the state of Michigan at this time? Did it have, as far as you know, any role in? Michigan the, actually had a bigger role than a lot of people realized. Really? There's obviously no battles fought here, but we did have we sent a lot of men to fight. There are a lot of Michigan regiments. We also, from a cavalry standpoint, we sent I think it's more horses than any other state to the cavalry. And Lincoln himself even said, you know, I don't know where our cavalry would be without Michigan or something to that effect. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely sent a lot of men. We sent a lot of horses. And then a funny story that I've come across with just researching things in general, there are actually two Confederate political prisons held on Mackinac Island for a few months. So That's pretty far yeah. up north. Yes, wow. it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure as, like, coming from... A southern state where it's probably a little warmer to go up to Mackinac. Yeah. Be a culture shock. Yep. One of the stories I heard is that they were told that they could either stay there over the winter or they could um, pledge their allegiance to the United States. So, <laughs> wow. um, from what I understand, one of them, you know, pledged their allegiance to the United States and the other one um, tried to stick it out. But <laughs> yeah. I, I do need to do more research on that particular thing. Yeah. But, you know, actually, it's fine. Something else I saw um, on your website was there was an article, uh, Lincoln visited Michigan? Yeah, Lincoln visited Kalamazoo. But this yep. was before he was Yeah, Yeah, uh, that was when he was campaigning. Wow. Yeah. So. Very cool. And I saw the picture in, in the article of uh, the plaque mm -hmm. that they have there. And I don't know if the plaque had parts of his speech on it. I know It the, may have, yeah. Oh, did, okay. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I was actually contacted a little bit ago by um, by Michigan Now, and I do a monthly article on Michigan history for them. 
Oh, so nice. lots. Okay. There's so much information and so many cool things that we don't realize about Michigan history. Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun to research and look at every month or to to get that out. Wow. So, you st- is the plan for your book series to just continue on this topic of the Civil War? I've got notebooks full of ideas. So <laughs> I've, I've got some other Civil War plans for sure. And a lot of the characters in the existing books, I always feel like they need their own story. So I've got ideas, a lot of ideas on Civil War. I'm just finishing up a four-book Mackinac time travel series. I've got the first three out on there. The fourth one's um, first draft is written. Now it's back to editing, but then I'm editing a second, uh, another book that's actually a sequel of one of my Civil War books, and then I'm working on a third Civil War one. So I've got three books going on right now, all at various levels of completion. And then I'm also looking at writing a Michigan history children's book series because I've got a lot of um, teachers that work at other Catholics or other Catholic schools, other regular schools, and they're like, you know, do you have any information on Michigan history, anything that we can use to supplement Michigan history? Mm-hmm. And the first time I got asked that, I'm like, I can't think of anything but I could totally write that. So I'm, I actually have a whole book series planned on Michigan history throughout the years. Got a couple of nieces who said that they want to help me. So that's kind of fun as well. Um, so that's actually, once I get these three books done and then kind of, you know, update a couple of other things, um, I want to focus on that for a little bit too. So lots of ideas. Big plans. Lots of things coming. Yeah. <laughs> with, with your Mackinac series, was that something you also did a lot of travel and visiting to Mackinac to do research for? So that one came about, you know, as I said earlier, I we took a lot of family vacations up there. And then right after college, I was just kind of trying to figure out, you know, finding a teaching job, but then also, you know, how can I earn money up until I find that teaching job? Mm-hmm. And I was able to um, get a job for the Mackinac Parks, Mackinac State Historic Parks. And they have four sites up there, four main sites, the Colonial Michelin Mackinac, which is right by the bridge, Fort Mackinac, which is on the island, Historic Mill Creek, which is about five miles towards Sheboygan, and the lighthouse right there by the bridge. So they um, have all those. So I was able to work for that system, and I got to work at all the different places. Um, My main focus was the Colonial Fort and then Mill Creek. I did um, some adventure tours and, you know, talking about the nature and everything out there. And while there, made some very good friends, and we would the first book for Mackinac kind of came up because my friends and I would always joke about how fun it would be to travel back in time and actually talk to the people that we were portraying. So some of those big names, Charles and Glad and his family and his wife and, um, the, um, Sinclair family and just a bunch of those families that are big up there. And so that's kind of how the book came book idea came about with mm-hmm. that. So, um, yeah, the Mackinac series is time travel in book one, a young woman who works at the fort, finds herself back in time in 1775 where she meets a couple of other time travelers and then they have to figure out how to defeat an evil British soldier who wants to take out all the French and natives in the area. And then the other books kind of continue that. So Very cool. Yeah. I, I'm not super familiar with these. You mentioned, so Charles... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, and Charles Linglad. Charles Linglad. Yep. And the Sinclairs? Yep. Sinclair, Patrick Sinclair was a really big, uh, he was British, um, fur, tra- fur trader, kind of businessman up okay. there. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got to, um, uh, Father Jabot was a big traveler up there, traveling priest that would hit up there a lot. 
um, and just a lot of other individuals too. So, and I, I, I didn't even realize there was that. So that fort was an American fort that was used in the Revolutionary War. So it actually started out as a French fur trading post. Then after the French and Indian War, it was passed over to the British, and then the British held it until after the American Revolution. And actually, the British took that fort during the American Revolution. They were afraid that it wasn't going to be easy enough to defend if the Americans actually decided to attack it. And so they actually, over the winter, moved the fort and a lot of the buildings piece by piece over to the island and started you know, building a fort there. And then they actually leveled the, um, all the homes that were there and the fort pieces that were there. It's a common military practice. You level things out so your enemy can't come and use it later on. Mm. And so all of the existing buildings right there are, are reconstructed but very painstakingly reconstructed. It's all based on the archaeology and documents and things like that. So it's very historically accurate. So Mm -hmm. that's how the British moved over. And then after the American Revolution, the Americans took over, and the British eventually left. They dragged their heels a little bit. But (laughs) You know, it's funny living here in Michigan. I've never been to Mackinac. It's definitely a place to go. I feel like I should go. It's definitely a place to go. Um, yeah. And actually, a lot of people don't know either. Um, Mackinac Island played a small and embarrassing for the Americans role in the War of 1812. There are actually really? two battles of Mackinac Island. The first one, the British came and took over the American fort without a shot. And then we tried to retake it and were defeated embarrassingly again. So <laughs> yeah. a lot of, I learned a lot of little things from working up there, but then also for doing my research for the articles. Mm-hmm. I got to visit this place now. Wow. And it's funny because my family, like mom, dad, brothers and sisters have been up there. But I just never, I don't know. I didn't go with them for some reason. It's a great place. And, you know, the everyone talks about the fudge up there. And it is, yes, it is as advertised. It's very good. My favorite place to go is Joanne's. But the other places are very good as well. What is, yeah, what is the deal with... How did that get? Do you know how that got started up there? So, from what I've read, um, in the eight late or the sorry, the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, a lot of people were starting to travel to different places. Cars were in use, and so people were able to get to different places. There's actually a train that did go all the way up into Mackinac City, and so Mackinac became a little bit of a tourist destination. The area um, by the lighthouse was actually a um, camping area. You could just drive up your car and park and camp and um, hang out there. And so I think through that tourism, the fudge kind of came about from that. I wish I knew more about, I should actually research that a little bit more about exactly how, I think it was Murdoch's was the first fudge shop mm-hmm. in that area. But. And do you, like, what about uh, year is this around? So late 1800s, I think like 1890s through like the 1910s, 1911s um, is kind of when all that was starting. And then, you know, tourism just never stopped, just kind of kept going. So, yeah, the one of the Mackinac books that I'm working on right now takes place in 1918. So that's kind of I have a, a okay. I have a better picture of that particular area. OK, but 19. I'm trying to picture 1918. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not- pre, you know, Roaring twenties. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, Pre Great Depression. Yeah. We had just gotten into World War One. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the Spanish flu is actually going to come through around that time period as well. 
um, oh, that we off. That. Yeah, we forget about that too. So yeah, we had, you know, those two things kind of coming right on each other. Mm-hmm. So wow. Yeah, and then prohibition is going to come right after that. Michigan actually, we were the first ones to uh, the first state to prohibit alcohol, prohibit really? the sale of alcohol. Yeah. Okay. And there was a lot of bootlegging coming in from Canada. Oh so, wow. I was just, I was just listening to somebody. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called America's Untold Stories. It's with uh, Eric Hunley and Mark Robert, and they were just talking about alcohol um, in 1500s, 1600s. I didn't know this, but apparently, that's all you would drink back then in like England and Europe. Yep. Because water was. You could die from drinking water. Yeah, if it wasn't, yeah, that was very easy to just drink bad water. Yeah. yeah. So everybody drank alcohol, which, from what they were t- uh, saying on the on the episode, it was um, the alcohol by volume was very low. Yes. Um, until there was this guy, uh, I believe it was a German guy who translated Egyptian texts on distilling perfume. And from those translations, he learned how to distill alcohol, not for perfume, but for consumption. Interesting. And that's when you saw um, the alcohol by volumes. Now they could get way more alcohol content in these drinks. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was really cool. Um, and it's funny, in the episode, they uh, Mark makes a point. He's like... They they didn't have juices back then. They you know you can't just go out and get a sparkling water like it was just beer and wine. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's really cool that um, uh, Michigan, the first state to mm-hmm. prohibit the yep. sale of alcohol. Yep, we're also oh. the first to uh, say to kind of take it back and the first to sign the amendment to uh, repeal it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. I like that. Uh, like uh, our bad, we're we're the first to admit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I gotta make it up to Mackinac now. Yeah. You've just convinced yeah. me. It's a beautiful I, place, and I still want to get up there in the winter. Um, I've been up there in the spring, oh. summer, and fall. I've never been up there in the winter, but I hear it's absolutely beautiful. It's just you never know what the weather's gonna be like. Oh, I can imagine winter. You probably get a lot of snow. Yeah. I would imagine they get a lot of snow. Yeah. Ah. Uh. That's something that I'm not really a big fan of. <laughs> it's funny. But I mean, I've lived here all my life, but I don't know. As I've gotten older, I just... Snow can be tough. It can be a little tough. Yeah, yeah very tough. <laughs> uh, going going back to your books on the Civil War and, and that time period, um, I can kind of see this theme... Just in starting your uh, your book, uh, The War Shall Rise Against Me, on the families and families being torn apart by the war in that you'd have parts of your family that were on the Confederate side, some some family was on the Union side. Mm-hmm. How was that? Was that very prevalent back then? It was, especially more on the border states. So the states kind of right on the line, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, Maryland, that those areas, uh, you would have a lot of families who would be split by the war. Mm-hmm. 
just because there's, you know, you're hearing things from different sides and people have their different opinions. And so, yeah, you would definitely have people who would be, you know, have their different opinions on, you know, what's right and what's wrong. So, yeah. And then, yeah, have, you know, some people, you know, some sons leaving their southern home and fighting for the north. Some people, you know, leaving their northern home and fighting for the south. And so you would see oh, that really? a lot. Yeah. Wow. Did you, you were saying that that like happened quite a bit? I don't know. I, I, a fair enough amount. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't every family, mm-hmm. but um, I think it was enough to at least make it really tough for a lot of people. Yeah. So. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, especially in the border states, you know, Michigan, we probably pretty much all sent them to the union. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of anything different. Um, and a lot of the other, like New York, probably the same thing, a lot of those other states, but those yeah. ones on the borders are the ones that were really torn wow. with that. Well, I, and I'm reading, I've started slowly making my way through this book, uh, James McPherson, Battle Cry Freedom. And I'm not very far into it, but in the beginning. It's a dense he, book. Very dense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. And it's all just one volume, 800-some mm-hmm. pages. Yep. Like A lot of good information, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, In the beginning of the book where he's talking about the Mexican-American War and how some of the generals and soldiers, what have you, that fought in that war ended up fighting against each other, yep. like just, yep. uh, I don't even, 10, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine that. I mean, that's on a nut, on a smaller scale, that's like, you know, you play college football and then you go on to the NFL and you're playing against yeah. the people that you played on yeah. the same team with. Yeah. Obviously, on a that's war in college, right. college football, different, but yeah. that's kind of what I would equate that to a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. I, I would struggle with that. Yeah, it would a be a bit. very difficult thing. Um, yeah, and there's yeah. lots of stories about that and, you know, different individuals. Um, there's, um, in particular, a General Hancock and a General Armistead, and they were, like, not only fought together in the Mexican-American War, but they actually were very, very close, um, and then they ended up fighting against each other. So, yeah. Wow. I, think, I think that would have been, like, one of the, for, for, for their perspective or if you know anybody on the other side, like, that would be the worst thing is just looking across the battlefield and seeing them. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Well, and didn't, too, um, Robert E. Lee went to West Point. Yes. Right, which, you know, it's in New York. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like you were saying earlier, they sent a lot of troops, pretty much everybody, I'm guessing, to the Union mm-hmm. Army. So, again, he's probably seeing people. And conversely, they're mm-hmm. now fighting against a guy that they went to school with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What do you think, as far as this time period, well, let me start with this. Um, As far as like in your classes with your students, do you go over the Civil War a lot? Yeah, actually, I'm able to spend um, a fair fair amount of time on it, actually. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we do go into um, the depths and kind of looking at it from both perspectives and Mm -hmm. looking at a lot of different aspects of it. Wow. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Is it, do you find our kids interested, disinterested, kind of it depends on the kid. Um, yeah. And I've actually had a, a young woman, she's a senior in high school now, but 
and I still see her occasionally and she goes, you know, I don't really like social studies, but you did make it a lot of fun. So I did like the class. So I'm like, I thought that was like a really good compliment. I really like that she said that. But Mm -hmm. I think social studies is definitely something that you can make fun. Mm -hmm. History, social studies, you can make it fun. You can make it educational. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, right now I just started the American Revolution with my eighth graders. So they're basically getting identities Mm -hmm. and they have it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. And then they're going to have to write a report or a story or some of them are going to make a short movie about it um, at the end for their final project on that. But there's a lot of ways to get the kids really into the history. Mm -hmm. So um, and I'm glad that I'm able to do that. And we have a lot of fun with it. And um, but also learning, you know, learning by doing and learning by um, obviously not experiencing the whole thing, but getting a little bit of the experience. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's always there's a stereotype about history that's like, oh, that's, it's boring mm-hmm. stuff, memorization, yep. uh, dates. Yeah. Uh, but I had a very good history teacher in high school who the, uh, the class was not any of those things. Like it wasn't boring. It, it felt like he really brought things to life mm-hmm. kind of that yeah. made it, uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, I I found myself reading more and more about history now than I did when I was maybe a little bit younger. Where yeah. I just thought, oh, why should I? Why should I read about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's kind of why I read history is what I can kind of learn from it, mm-hmm. learn lessons from it, yep. and. And I'll have quite a few readers who, and it kind of hurts my heart every time I hear it, but they're like, oh, I hated history in high school. I hated learning about socialism in high school and middle school, but I really enjoyed reading your book because I was able to learn from it, mm-hmm. which is good to hear. But then it just hurts me that so many people like hated history growing <laughs> up. And I feel like that's changing a little bit. I think that um, more mm-hmm. teachers are able to to look at different things and to try to make it a little bit mm-hmm. more interesting. So, y- You know what else has kind of changed the game, I think, a little bit is YouTube. In, in a way where you have people doing, I never realized, I never called it this, but they're doing video essays. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like how you would have a paper, you know, writing out a paper for class. They're doing it in video form with slideshow pictures, uh, sometimes video footage mm-hmm. if if um, if it's you know, if, if that's part of the time and they do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Some of these YouTube channels. Yeah. Very good job. Um, I was, I've been trying to do a little series on, um, a gentleman that I interviewed, Russell Dore, who wrote, uh, a book on, uh, the founding of the big three automakers oh, yeah. in Michigan. Yep. And, I probably don't even do, I don't think I do that great of a job with it. I can do so much better, but I'm trying to, you know, give back in a way. Maybe I don't know if that's a good way to okay. say it. Like, hey, here's what I've, I learned from this book. Hopefully you can right, learn yeah. something from it too. Yeah. Um, hopefully I've been doing a good job with that, but I'll let the comments and then yeah. my likes and dislike ratio yeah. <laughs> decide that. Um, let's talk about this book that I have here. Yeah. Um, 
This is very interesting. Uh, what do primary sources tell us about educational methods and subjects taught during the American Civil War? And I know that, um, I don't know if I was recording at the time, but we were talking about this mm -hmm. earlier. And this was your uh, master's thesis? Yeah, so I was college. getting my yeah master's in education and got to the like capstone project or thesis paper and just looking at what to do. And I was um, talking to my advisor and I'm like, you know, I've done a lot of research on the Civil War. Is there any way that I can like tie in Civil War education and, and you know, be able to kind of use that as well? She's like, yeah, that's a great idea. We can kind of look at history of education and, you know, kind of go from there. And so that um what I ended up doing so focusing on the Civil War and then really looking at primary sources so um, McGuffey readers um, mm -hmm. which are a little bit later but still give you a little bit of a picture of what it was like after and then some actual Civil War time period textbooks I was able to get my hands on reproductions of them and things like that to really look at it and um, you know just doing a lot of research that way and was able to put mm -hmm. that together and what's what's a McGuffey so reader? McGuffey readers were early reading textbooks essentially oh, okay so, okay yeah did you find um is there a or what would what's like the biggest difference between education in this time period versus right now well right now it would totally be the technology piece yeah i mean that would just be the biggest one but even for like you know back when you know technology wasn't as big of a piece um because this time There's, period, is yeah. it like one-room schoolhouse? Kind so, of? there were, uh, yeah, Civil War time period, you did have a lot of one-room schoolhouses. Mm -hmm. You would definitely have young women who would go to, they would call them seminary schools, and they would, you know, learn different things there. Um, not just to be a housewife and a mother, but they would learn different languages. They would learn music, art appreciation, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, boys could go to universities. Um, actually, West Point was a military academy. But it's also, I've heard it was called like one of the best all around educations that you could get at that time. And so you had a lot of people going there for that. Um, if you were wealthy enough, you could send your children to study abroad in mm -hmm. Europe. That was still a big thing. Okay. Um, before the Civil War, obviously during it, you weren't necessarily traveling that much. But mm -hmm. um, it definitely had to do with, you know, where you were on the social scale on the social scale, there was public school available for everybody, but if you were more wealthy, you could afford to send them to the, the different schools that get better tutors and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Yeah. I, I thought this was really cool that you did that and you have it available for a purchase. Yeah. When I was done with it, I just yeah. looked at it. I'm like, you know what? I know how to put these things together in book form. I might as well just do that. So, <laughs> Um, was able to do that so yeah no I I thought that was really cool um yeah I, I did enjoy reading it and your um the illustrations or the figures at mm -hmm. the end too yep that was really cool yeah as well I try to put um at least some images in all my books mm -hmm. so they're usually at the end and of people that were there some of the locations so mm -hmm. yeah and that in like your in the other books because you, you have uh, maps and stuff. Yep. Like in, in this book. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's cool yep. to have. My that. mom's actually extremely artistic. She does a lot of work for me. And just, none of this would be happening if it wasn't for her and her support. But she actually d draws the maps and she's responsible for oh, all the wow. pictures on the covers, too. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you yep. where. 
are, is that like a photography or yep. is that actual? My, my mom takes the pictures and then we're able to use it. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. No, those are beautiful. I mean, those are beautiful mm-hmm. pictures. Um, are, are these um, from the actual the, the like, places? Sites? Yeah. So like that's wow. on the Gettysburg battlefield. Wow. Okay. So. Very cool. Yeah. That's nice. Um, yeah. No, that, that's really cool. What would, um, let me ask you this, um, as far as religion during this time Mm -hmm. period, was it more pronounced, would you say, in the North and the South, both were very, very religious? Yeah, both sides were very religious, yes. Yes. And you you would not have everybody who was terribly religious, but it was Mm -hmm. a, a much bigger... Um, you'd see it a lot more at that point. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm doing my writing and my research and I'm, I'm actually reading the journals and the diaries and the letters, um, their faith was what got them through a lot of these tough times. Okay. Um, and, okay. and they went through, I don't know how some of these individuals got through it, but <clears throat> they were able to get through it and they kind of credit their faith in God and, and that on how they were able to do it. Wow. So. I could, yeah, I, I could totally see that when you're in, when you're in that sort of atmosphere, um, when you're in a war, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that, that kind of leads you to believing in believing in certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, think, I forget who I heard it from, but s- some writer or historian said there's no atheists in foxholes. Oh, I've, I think I've heard that yeah. before. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. Do you, um, now that would be an interesting book. I'm just thinking about your master's thesis and, um, education now comparing religion Mm -hmm. in this time period to religion today. That would be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a book that (laughs) I can add that to the list. Maybe I just gave you a book idea, (laughs) but now your, your time um, with, cause, cause we had mentioned earlier that you're a, uh, you're a minister. Is that So correct? yeah, youth minister. Youth yeah. minister. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that? I started, wow. Um, I probably been doing it for about 10, 12 years. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and how big, I don't know exactly how it works, but how big is your like group? It fluctuates and I've done it at a couple of different churches as well. Um, the, previous church that I did it at you know, we would have anywhere from a dozen kids to 30 mm-hmm. and then um now where I do it at the same school that excuse me the school that I teach at the church affiliated with that mm-hmm. um it's a little bit smaller but we're trying to build it mm-hmm. so slowly but surely so, and this is like pretty young um so at my previous one I would do mostly high school and then now it's high school and middle school okay so. Okay. That's how I got pulled in because I know all the middle schoolers. <laughs> Do you find you were saying that it kind of like as far as um, numbers, attendance, etc., that it fluctuates, mm-hmm. or has it? Have you has you have you seen it increase at all as time has gone by? Decrease. So actually, so thinking about 
I feel like it's held pretty steady because I actually just mm-hmm. talked to the new youth minister at the church that I previously worked at. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she's got about the same numbers that we would have had back then. Mm. So, you know, staying with that particular parish, it seems like it's stayed pretty consistent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just wondering, cause I don't know. I, I hear statistics. I haven't personally looked into them, but that like record number of churches are closing down mm-hmm. things like that. I've heard some things and, like that too. Yeah. And that's what I'm wondering is, uh, where is it happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, like w- kind of why is it happening? Um, just kind of, yeah, what's yeah. I haven't what's quite looked on. at that. Yeah, that's something that I would like to look into a little bit more mm-hmm. and see that more. But, yeah, I haven't been able to to really look into the numbers and the reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, um, I also, my church is in uh, Troy, Michigan. And for me, it's kind of a drive. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of deters me from being more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's little bit tougher uh but they're they're also for we're um orthodox okay. there's just i don't know for some reason there's not a lot of orthodox uh serbian orthodox churches but i do see you know there's greek mm-hmm. there's uh I, I think there's a few russian ones in the grand rapids area yeah 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 uh, but as far as far as like for us serbians uh macedonians there's there's just not as much but it could be just like a population thing. Yeah. There's not a ton, not a ton of um, Serbs and Macedonians mm-hmm. in this area compared to like Chicago. Sure. Massive yeah. population. Uh, Toronto, massive. Um, so that could, that could be the mm-hmm. reason. But I find when I do uh, go to church, I'm usually the youngest one there. And I'm not even like that young. <laughs> I think that depends on the the, the, the actual church too, because um, I try to go to church every Sunday, no matter where I'm at. So like mm-hmm. this summer, I went to my goodness, maybe half a dozen different churches, and I think it just depends on where you're at, and then like mm-hmm. also if there's multiple services, like what time you're going to. I've noticed like, patterns like the earlier ones, you have a lot of the more older people, and then if it's a young, there's a young, uh, there's a later service a lot of the younger people and the families and stuff so i think that's part of a trend too that's a good point i didn't think about that because for me i these days i wake up early Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's just as i've gotten older it's just easier to wake up early i found that too i'm not sure that (laughs) i like it but i go to bed early and then i wake up early that's my routine but when i was younger um no, you're totally right. I would stay up late, and then I would wake up late. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would miss every single service, uh, you know, that the mm-hmm. ones that started at uh, 10 a.m. Sure. That's yeah. way too early for yeah. a young Chris. Mm-hmm. But, no, for me these days, no, I'm up before the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my routine. Yeah. Maybe that's just part of growing up. I think it is part of growing up. It's harder <laughs> to, it is harder to sleep in now for me, too. Yeah. So even yeah. when I can sleep in, I'm still awake at like eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, oh, might as well just grab my book and read for a little bit. Yeah. 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 No, I, I do a very similar thing. I have like a morning routine. Lots of times it does involve a book, mm-hmm. get a little reading in, make some green tea and mm-hmm. my day's 
my day's good yeah. as long as I can get those couple of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a couple more questions, Erica. Um, going back to the Civil War, and and in your experience, what are some things that you say people get misconstrued about the war, or get, they have like the wrong idea about the war? Do you think? It, do you think people have those kind of? It depends on who you talk to. I think. I think if you're a true historian and a true person that studies the Civil War, mm-hmm. you will look at it from all different aspects because that's the thing is that there were a lot of different aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that it was just because of the one issue, um, mostly slavery, and that was one of the biggest issues. But there were side issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reading the different letters and journals, your average Confederate soldier um, probably didn't even own slaves, mm-hmm. just the average ones. Um, obviously, a lot of them d- did. But, um, you know, I think just looking at the individual reasons that people served and even on the northern side, too. You know, why did they serve um, and looking at that? And then just I think just the different aspects of it, just really looking at it from all the different perspectives, um, Mm -hmm. from the perspective of the slaves and the blacks and, you know, the perspectives of the northerners and the southerners and the women and the children. There's just a lot of different ways to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, This is kind of a random question, but your. You publish your books under the name. Mary LaPresse. Yes. <laughs> what um, is the background? Well, actually, on that? my full name is Erica Marie. My middle name is LaPrey, and my last name is Emma Lander. So when I started writing, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go with the Marie LaPrey. You know, <laughs> go, go, just go with that. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of developed from there. Okay. So a little bit of anonymity, but still, like anybody, like, I don't try to hide the fact that I write the books. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little bit of a little a different thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how that came from. I'm, I'm sorry to mispronounce your name. <laughs> Everybody does. It's okay. Unless you know how to speak French. <laughs> Unless you know how to speak French. Yeah, it always gets mispronounced. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, um, I was just wondering about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, I think when I would head first um, come across your name and I was reading an, an article about you and it's like, wait, am I, is this the right person? Yeah. Am I talking, am I reading about there's two different people in this article. <laughs> so, yeah, and it kind of depends on what the article, how it gets written. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I know we kind of, I know you mentioned your plans uh, earlier with where you're, where you're going to be taking your, your writing. But um, as far as either that or outside of that, like kind of what's next for you? So right now, I kind of said it, spoke earlier, I've got three books. One book mm-hmm. is in more final editing stages. Um, that is a sequel to my Civil War Petersburg book. Some of those characters just stayed with me, and I'm like, you know what? i got to keep going for a little bit. So that one, ideally, it would be out by the end of the year, but probably early next year. And then I just finished the first draft of my final Mackinac book. So that one, you know, kind of getting that through the process, too. And then kind of in the middle of writing, more toward the end of writing, but um, a book that's more geared toward middle schoolers. And it's basically everything I teach in eighth grade about the Civil War, but in novel form. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that kids read it and they learn what they need to read, but it's also a story. And that's how 
we so often learn is through stories. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the idea there. And then after that, um, like I said, looking at the Michigan history for kids books, um, I've got other books, ideas, like I mentioned earlier, how one of my ancestors came over just to marry a fur trader. Um, I have ideas for stories on her, just ideas for so many different stories. I'll, what I'll probably end up doing when I get to the point of where I actually have to pick what I'm going to focus on next is pull my readers say, Hey, who do you want to learn about next? Mm. So yeah, that that's very cool. Got an um, idea for a one that follows a Civil War nurse around. Oh, Got that okay. one kind of okay. kind of an idea of how to develop that one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I have like a whole notebook I- of ideas. <laughs> so, and every time I travel yeah. somewhere new or uh, look at um, d- the different articles that I look at for Michigan history, like there's a new book idea. There's a new book idea. Mm-hmm. So there's so many of them. I do that with... Um, books i've been going to a lot of used book sales and i my book list is full at this point yeah. I, I there's an entire backlog and yet i'll go to a used book sale and i'll still buy like four or five books mm-hmm. like god yeah. chris you're it's going to take you years before you get mm-hmm. to this but yeah i've got a spare bedroom and i am turning it into a library study area nice. so yes i've got a lot of books and while i can read on the kindles I prefer an actual book. Hundred so. percent. I I do too. No, I I have to have like a physical mm-hmm. copy. Um, not even. I mean, some of them I do underline, mm-hmm. but it's not even that. It's kind of what you're mm-hmm. saying. It's just actually yeah. like holding it in my hand, flipping a page. Yeah, there's something about that. Yeah, it's just not the same on mm-hmm. a Kindle or a Nook or. Yep. Yeah. Um, Erica. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Um, where can where can people get in contact with you? Is it is the best way on your website? Yeah. So um, my website um, email is marielaprey eight four at gmail dot com. I, I I put a new one in. Did I add the eight four? I'll I'll let you know. And you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. For um, sure. And then they're they are all available on Amazon as well. But mm-hmm. I like you know I like when people email me. Hey. Can I have a signed copy of this one? I actually just got an email last night about, you know, I read these oh, books. Cool. Can I get the next one? Um, and that way I can personalize it and sign it for people. But you can't get it from Amazon. I know down in the Grand Rapids area, there is a Made in Michigan store that carries the Mackinac ones. Up north in Mackinac, the um, Island Bookstore carries the Mackinac books. Oh, wow. So um, kind of hit and miss. Uh, a lot of, I've got my books in a few stores out in Gettysburg. Um, but consistently cool. email me or um, Amazon mm-hmm. okay. is always an option. And they are available on Kindle as well. <laughs> for the few crazy people. That... Yeah, for those that prefer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, are, you on, are you on any social media? Instagram? Yep. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads okay. um, are maybe ones. I, I have a Twitter, but I can't remember the last time I tweeted oh, anything. Oh, okay. I'll have um, to tweet at you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, yep. So... But yeah, my main ones are Facebook and Instagram. Okay. So, so if people want to connect, yes. um, I will, I'll include a, a link to your site. Perfect. Um, I'll include your, your email as well, mm-hmm. uh, your social media um, links as well in the description of this episode. And yeah, I think that's going to 
wrap it up again erica thank you very much yeah thank you for doing this um on a day that you're doing a festival too people people don't know again shout Um, out to mom for watching the booth while i'm here yeah (laughs) no i i sincerely appreciate it um this was a lot of fun i enjoy talking about this time period i want to learn more about it Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate and enjoy your book Mm -hmm. and i can't wait to can't wait to finish it all right very good so with that everybody thank you very much for listening Uh, my name is chris this has been cheat take care everybody